Welcome to the Automating Success Podcast, where Joe Langton will be interviewing the world's leading minds on robotics, automation, AI, landscaping, snow removal, greenhousing, and so much more. Joe is a serial entrepreneur, the president of Langton Group, CEO of Automated Outdoor Solutions, and is currently building a community of green magic homes. Now, let's get the show started. Hello, Automating uh, Success followers. I'm super excited today. I'm actually doing this podcast from England. Uh, ironically, Phil and I were just a room away, but in about a day here, I'm going to be back in the United States. Phil's going to continue on with his automation here in England, but I'm really excited to bring him on the show. Um, he's going to have a whole bunch of knowledge for us. He's been doing this for decades now, and this is Philip Sear with ANS Robotics. Phil, um, tell, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. You know, How long have you been in, in this uh, automation industry? <clears throat> well, it's been around about 13 years now, all in all, since I set uh, AMS Robotics up. And I fell into it by accident, really, on the basis that I designed and developed a golf mat called True Strike, which is a, a high-performing uh, product that performs like natural turf. Uh, a lot of golf professionals and golf enthusiasts use it around the world in their golf simulators uh, or just for genuine practice because standard mats just do not deliver a performance like natural turf. So we end up, at, I was in a situation in northern Italy with a client and I saw a prototype ball collector running around and I thought to myself, well, goodness, if we manage to design and develop a wash and return system where this collector can come drop balls off into a pit and then we can take the balls out of that pit in some way, wash them, put them clean in the dispenser, maybe cut the grass as well with robots. Wow, save the site money. It's gotta be a no brainer for the future. It's gotta be a no brainer for the future. So there you go. That's how I got into it. And that was the start of it all. All right, so that, that was a perfect kind of timeline, kind of shows kind of how you got into the industry. So we're going to come back to the true uh, strike mats here shortly. But when you saw that, did you instantly get started with the ball watch or did you get started? Um, like, did you go and find the system? How, how did you get started with Bell Robotics then? Because you said you were in Italy. Was it the Bell Robotics machine you saw or what did you see out there? Oh, absolutely. It was the Bell Robotics machine I saw. And it was, uh, as I say, it was a prototype. They didn't have a running model. And uh, I was so enthusiastic about trying to put something together here that uh, I, I contacted Bell Robotics as soon as I got back to the UK and said to them, look, I'm in pretty much in touch with every driving range in the UK, you know, virtually on a daily basis, not all of them, of course, but anyway, you know, <laughs> one at a time. And um, uh, I reckon there's, a, there's an opportunity here to automate golf driving ranges in the UK and uh, make a very successful business. So fundamentally, uh, I said to them, I want to distribute your product in the UK, uh, of which uh, we, they did. Uh, a gentleman called Emmanuel um, was their CEO at the time. Great relationship with him. They hadn't sold any ball pickers at this stage. And I brought the system back. I brought the, uh, uh, the distribution back to the UK. We designed and developed a wash and return system. I sold five systems and five setups with five rope robot ball collectors and five mowers. 
And boy, that was a tough time because that, you know, that prototype ball collector just really wasn't the answer. You know, it was great if you had clean balls and it was great if you had an, you know, an ideal situation. But as soon as you put them out in the driving range, start putting a lot of mud in there and start putting leaves and all manner of things. Boy, no, that was a tough time. However, Bell Robotics is a company absolutely superb with Emmanuel leading them. I raised the subject so that this is crazy. We've got to redesign this thing. So we spent a great deal of time as AMS working with Bell Robotics. They did the fundamental, they, they employed a contractor to fundamentally redesign the mechanics of it with uh, a great deal of input from AMS at the end of the day. My uh, technical director, Sam Daybell and myself, um, and got to the stage where we now have a product that fundamentally works. So Bell Robotics stood behind their brand, stood behind their product, took the prototype machines out and replaced them with the new machine. Free of charge and AMS did exactly the same. We backed it up um, and we converted those five customers who stayed by our side. We've lost one in the last 13 years. All those guys have um, reinvested and upgraded the systems as we've gone along which is an exciting thing and a, a, a huge amount of confidence in uh, not just the product, but also in what AMS uh, has delivered from a support perspective and the design of our systems. And over the course of the last 13 years to where we are now, yeah, uh, Bell Robotics have been bought out by a company called Yamabiko, who've invested a ton of money into the robots. So we've, we've taken what uh, you guys in America might not know about the Sinclair C5, or you may have heard of this little electric car designed by a gentleman called Clive Sinclair 30 years ago. Uh, basic technology, a bit like sending Apollo to the moon. You know, that technology in there was so, you know, basic, if you like. Um, and that's what the robots ran on. Then Yamabiko came in, sensationalized the robots, brought them right up to speed. And now we've got what we are likened to the Tesla of the robot world, because the technology is right up to speed, even nowadays with GPS RTK. And what we've additionally done as AMS, we've developed our wash and return system on understanding where we had difficulties, understanding and listening to our clients uh, on what improvement we can make and how we can develop the product. And we now have the Mark III series wash and return system, which is just, well, I'm involved in the design and development of it, so I'm bound to be good about it. But uh, it, our engineers are spending some um, 50 to 60 percent less time on the road uh, resolving issues. And our client base has uh, easily quadrupled in the last five years. So spending less time for engineers, a larger client base, it's got to say something I said. Well, absolutely. And you just gave me a whole lot to kind of undress and hit on here. So. First thing I, I want to say, um, I, I like that you brought up that you have clientele that's reinvested and, and kind of up the ante with the new technology. You know, it, it, to, to, to be fair with you, Joe, it, it, you know, if someone buys a system off us and then we have the development of the you know, RTK or we have the later robots, everybody upgrades. Everybody yeah. upgrades. Well, well, Phil, and this is not surprising, right? Because I told people... Uh, I mean, how many people do you know that have a flip phone still? Like everybody's running the new iPhone or the new Android, right? I mean, this is this. I've always felt like this segment is not that much different than the cellular cell phone segment, right? At the end of the day, 
Uh, We went from being tethered to a line and not being able to leave a desk to being able to be mobile with cellular and then cell phones turned into little computers we could take around with us all over. Well, when you look at automation, it's kind of very similar. You know, people people are trepidatious and they always tell me they don't want to start until uh, until the best of the best is there. But the reality is with technology, it's always evolving and it takes the feedback of the consumer to make it better and, and make it fit better. So it is great to actually hear, since you guys are so far ahead of the United States, that that opinion and vision I've had is is showing up all also true in, in England right now. Well, to, to be fair with you, once the clients buy into it, once they buy into it and they say, look, I want to save money, I want to go carbon neutral, I, I don't want to use fossil fuels anymore. Um, I want the presentation of my golf driving range facility to not be a mud pit out there. I want it to be grass all year round. They see what the robots do. And fundamentally, they, they don't want to. There's no way they'd go back. You know, once you've dealt with the robots, what, what do you want to go back to? What a kid spinning around in a big old picker, digging the ground up everywhere he goes. I don't think so. I don't think so. Once you've gone into it and you understand how it works and you've gone through the learning curve and your team are on board, there's no way back, really, to be honest with you. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm kind of fascinated because your start is, you know, so so much different than mine, right? Like I, I got started with Echo. Um, I've been putting them on ramps and, and I've been keeping my customers happy. And, and I have to tell uh, my followers that, um, as I've been out here, it's, you know, and I realized this in the United States, and honestly, it's one of the reasons I came out here to meet with Phil. I, I knew I could learn a lot from Phil and AMS, his whole team out here, because with every company, it's, it's more than more than a person, right? There's a whole team of people. And the, the, the reality is to see that, uh, you know, right, right now in America, I've been leaving so much, uh, so, so much of a solution out of the equation, which is your ball watch system, right? So, you know, how much has your ball watch system evolved? So, I mean, you saw the picker um, when you were in Italy, you said, right? So then that means you had to come back here. You had to, you had to hit the ground running because it sounds like you knew you needed ball management right out of the gate. So, so tell me how that started. You know, how, how did that process go? How did you start designing that? And how many, uh, how many evolutions has that design been through from, from then till now? Well, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be frank with you, Joe, the the fundamentally, fundamentally, the system doesn't add up unless you have the full solution. There is little point in just having a robot going around to collect your balls because you've got a guy waiting there for the robot to come back, drop them into a basket. He then has to go out to the basket, pull the basket out, take it to a washer and wash Where's your labor saving? You've got a man involved. So um, likewise, you know, if it's, uh, um, you know, simply from the, uh, the, the the point of trying to save money, trying to save energy, you might as well do the whole thing. So I never went to the stage where we had just a ball collector. Never went there. It was it was a full system or not at all. And our original system was a um, fundamentally a circular barrel where we had an exit point at the bottom for the balls. The robot drove over the drop, dropped the balls in, and then the system would fire up. And what we would have in there was we'd have a motor that would rotate with an arm on the end in the center, which would agitate the balls because fundamentally spherical objects stick together. You put them in a pile, ask them to go down through a single hole. They're not going unless you agitate them because they're 
just the, the physical, the physics of the balls touching each other, they just won't move. So you have to agitate. If you put vacuum on the bottom as well, fantastic. So you're drawing the balls out through the bottom along the transport pipe. But the major flaw in the original system that we designed was the fact that if it goes in the top, it's got to go out the bottom. So that would relate to stones, sticks, leaves, whatever was going in there. So debris was a big problem for us because you then had to go to the bottom of the pit, which is a real tricky thing, take off the pipework, remove the blockage, and then put it back together again. So absolutely, it was a real, it was a real issue to start with. So after a great deal of, um, uh, you know, just just modeling and mucking about in, in, in the office, trying to think of ways in which we could agitate the balls effectively. Uh, I came up with a solution where I just had a V-shaped piece of cardboard with a hole in the middle of it. So an upside down roof, if you like. And then in that upside down roof, I put a bunch of balls. And then all I did, I had a stick with a triangular block on the end and I just pushed the balls. And if you went backwards and forwards, you could get the balls to go over the hole and drop through the hole. So that was the principal design. And that's the part, the technical part that's patented and all those sort of good things, you know. So, um, so that's evolved into now where we have a slider and we have a space in that slider for five balls. So five balls can go in at a time. And as the slider moves, it presents the balls over the center hole the balls drop through but of course this doesn't always stop blockaging so what we've additionally done we've added four stainless steel bars um i don't know whether you get a great deal of snooker i know you get a lot of pool in america joe but i don't know whether you get a lot of snooker and with snooker you'll see the the corner pocket has four bars where the balls go in and roll around well, the reason why we've added that, the stainless steel bar, so as the balls go through, if there's loose debris, it drops straight through. So if the uh, if there's grass, if there's anything there, so that that doesn't actually enter the pipework now. So we eliminate, we eliminate blockages in the pipe. If you get a stone or something of that sort of nature, even though the rock ball pickers picked it up, it's probably not a perfect shape. If it is, there's a good chance it's going to go through all, all the way through the system and out the other end without blocking it. But if it's got a few sort of excretions and lumps and bumps, as it gets to the bottom, it blocks at the bottom of the pit. So your operator just goes and moves the balls, takes the obstruction out, discards it, system's running again without any lengthy um, clearances like we used to have in the past. And additionally, we also perforated the actual V-shaped trough itself on the side so as the balls move around in there any chunky bits of mud or dried mud they rub against these edges the mud drops off and you know it was you know the the, the additional designs that we've done to the system have just been uh, you know got to the stage where even now we've got a self-clearing solution so even if something you know a stick does block across the hole we've got an additional item in there that as the slider comes off it moves it out of the way so the system carries on running without any operator intervention. So, yeah, no, we reckon we've got a pretty good system now, to be fair with you. Um, and uh, our customers are happy, so I can't argue about that. So, yeah, well, and I mean, the you left out a couple of things, too. I mean, even when I was out here and I saw what you guys have, you know, 
I had heard from some of your technicians that you guys used to use some mm -hmm. uh, like electric electronic type of actuators. Now you've gone all the air because yeah. then that doesn't get affected by the uh, outside uh, environment, yeah. which I thought was a brilliant, uh, brilliant move on your guys' part. And then the other thing is the uh, strategic positioning of the manhole covers uh, to see actually, okay, if something does make it through or if we get some bridging of balls or let's say it vacuums in some moisture or water somehow, that it's easy to actually clear it through these access points, right? So, um, you know, and that's all stuff that I don't think can be learned without having someone on the ground, not only running the system themselves, but designing it and also being willing to say, okay, this wasn't the best way to do it. Let's try something even better because that's how we innovate, right? And, and I can tell well, you what you guys did. You can't, you know, you, you, you know, things aren't always apparent. You know, it wasn't apparent that we didn't necessarily think, well, it's a round tub. We didn't necessarily think, obviously, everything's got to go through. So is that going to create? Well, I guess if, you know, you do a lot of due diligence, you might come. But kind of like we needed to get a system out there. We needed to get this thing selling. We need to see what the customer's reaction was. And the reaction was great. And, okay, now we've got some things we've got to resolve. Well, that's that's all about R&D, isn't it? So you put a bunch of R&D in, you come out with some ideas, and then you develop those ideas as you go forward. Um, and coupled with the Bell Robotics or Echo products as they are, now, both obviously just two brands of the same product, incorporating our system, we got an absolutely perfect system for driving ranges. It will save a low volume driving range. It will certainly create a far better outfield, you know, because the robots are so light when they're operating. But um, it will save a small range, you know, not a huge amount of money. They'll probably break even. But as soon as you get up to one and a half million, one to one and a half million balls a year for a driving range, your cost of operation generally is 25% of your income. And when you're looking at that, then our savings generally are between 20 to 60% on the actual cost of operation. You also get the grass cut up to five times a week rather than once a week as used to be done. The bulls don't have to be cleared whilst you're cutting the grass because they work into conjunction together, the robots. You've got a robot weighing no more than 84 kilos, fully loaded. Um, I don't know how many pounds it is. What's that? 150 pounds, 160 pounds, like someone walking out there. And so you're not destroying the outfield while you're doing it. And even the picker, it picks its picker wheel up when it reverse steers to turn rather than you got your young lad on your big picker with your five gang. He turns around a corner, it tears the surface up and, and destroys the sword. I mean, you know, What's there not to like about it, Joe? What's there not to like about it, mate? Well, absolutely. And it's actually ironic hearing you hit on the point of the picker wheel picking itself up because uh, I tell people that that's the main reason that I believe our uh, system is so much better for turf health. than. Oh, God. I mean, you, you think about it. With the with the big old uh, five-gang uh, picker, as it turns, it's breaking up that sward. It's breaking up. So what you're having is a weaker surface. So when it rains, and it does rain, obviously, you start getting compaction from that heavy machine going over no sword you get a mud pit yeah. um, so you then have a robot that's so light on the ground no mechanical compaction doesn't even tear the ground with it by the time the grass has been cut five times a week during the season you've got a lovely solid sword there then no hand picking in the winter that's that's the target no hand picking in the winter yeah so labor charge 
Well, you know, a couple other things I'd like to bring up and talk about just to kind of describe the system as I saw it so people listening can understand. So, you know, talking about energy, one of the things that I was really impressed with first time I saw the system was uh, when James took me around to show me, show me the system, the robot was actually still out picking. And all James did was hit the charging arm and it activated the system which I thought was was brilliant. I mean, these are things that people that are not in, into automation like we are yet, Phil, and that's why I'm breaking this down for them to understand necessarily what to think about, right? So you guys have figured out a way to, to tie into once the arm moves, the system turns on. So the system is not constantly running. It's running when the robot comes in and docks, the robot drops the golf balls, it runs. Um, is that something that you had to work with Bell on, or is that something that you were able to kind of see that they had once their arm moves? I, I, tell me how you guys figured out how you could incorporate well, it's, it's It's quite a simple thing. No, we, we said to Bell, we want to put a relay in the docking station so as when the robot comes on, it would trigger the relay. So they weren't adverse to that. There was power there. <clears throat> it just puts a wire pair in between our system and the charging arms. So it's a relatively easy solution. But the, the cute thing about it now, though, as we've evolved that on, the larger sites that do a great deal more balls, we can run two pickers on one drop pit. So when one picker comes up and it's dropping, if the next picker comes up at the same time, it gets a busy signal. Bell helped us with this, but it, the robot gets a busy signal. So the robot stops and waits. When picker one leaves the docking station, picker two fires up, jumps on the dropping dock, docking station and the drop pit drops its balls and then carries on working. So in other words, you know, you've got, you know, through one drop pit, you can run probably 30 to 35,000 balls a day. And so, you know, and if you have a site that's doing 60, 70,000 balls, we, we installed two drop pits. So we've got some sites running, you know, three to four ball pickers on each site. Well, yeah, and so do we. Like that's what we have at Ibis Club. That's one of the reasons I really liked your system, because yeah. I can see it tying in with our large golf courses in the United States. Yeah, and absolutely. you know, the other thing I really liked about your system was, you know, everybody's always talking about energy and you know how much you know what the conversion of electric is to to gas power. But one of the things that I, that I've noticed when I go to these golf clubs is the amount of water wasted when they're hand washing the balls because they just run at full steam or whatever. And it seems like your water uh, is very metered. It's, it's using the water when it needs it, not using it when it doesn't. Um, have you guys done anything to, to test and see the different the water differential or yeah, is that something that, 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 that? No, absolutely, of course, yeah. No, our system, you know, you can tune our system so you can turn the water down, you can turn it up. We just need one bar of pressure at the ball pit. Um, and uh, you only use as much water as you need to clean the balls. That's the long and short of it. So if your balls aren't particularly dirty, don't use so much water. As the balls travel through the transport pipe, we introduce the water at the very beginning of the pipe. So we just trickle feed the water in there. So as it goes through the pipe, they pre-wash if you like, if they're dirty. By the time they get to the wash unit, you can tune the wash unit. So you might only want the ball to do one rotation of the wash unit and exit because they're relatively clean balls. But if they're very dirty, you can tune the, uh, the ball wash. So it'll retain the ball in there for two or three rotations, giving it extra clean before it exits the ball wash. And then the balls will tra travel up through a water separator into the final receiver. 
when the system shuts down, the balls will drop into the drop into the dispenser exactly where the, the, the facility wants them. The drains will open, so the drain on the wash unit will open and the drain on the water separator will open. So you're never washing the balls in dirty water. So your next load, it's fresh water, but probably only, what, I don't know, two or three pints of water. Very, very low water usage. For the yeah, I mean, if, if you saw the water lines, you know, people that are listening, I mean, tiny, you know, it's like I, I'm, I'm pulling up the, the courses and they've got, you know, just regular standard garden hoses hooked up and they're just turning the, the valve on and water's pouring out all over and it's muddy. It's a lot of money. And, and not only that, Joe, you've also got to consider that at the end of the day, if you use tumble washers, people fill tumble washers up with water and they tumble balls, tumble balls. So these balls are getting washed in dirty, sandy water. If the, if the driving rain top dresses, there's going to be a lot of sand in there. It wears the balls down. It takes the skin off the ball. And then you get disgruntled guests because they're hitting what they seem as old tatty balls, you know. Yeah, well, and actually speaking to that, so by introducing water at the front end, that is that's pretty much acting like a lubricate, a little bit of a lubricant through the piping too. Absolutely, right? absolutely. That that's why we put it there. And if the balls are particularly dirty and you do need to use more water, you also have a solenoid on the wash unit, so you can actually add more water if required. So it's fully flexible, subject to the, you know, it's going to be very different in Canada than it is going to be in Southern California, you know. So uh, you know, the product that the system will work in all all environments at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is really an amazing system, Phil. And, and quite honestly, uh, you know, I'll kind of make this announcement while we're on the podcast, you know, there's, first of all, I've got a lot of pictures of this. If you go to my TikTok at Automated Outdoor or Automated Outdoor on TikTok and talking about how he can, you know, things are so changeable. One of the things I was so impressed with when I came out here to visit was the uh, motor control um, box uh, and, and the variability in the controls because this is not just a throw a vacuum on an end and throw some water in and it sucks it sucks golf balls through a pipe this is really uh, a piece of equipment that is fine tunable um, and uh, you know quite frankly when I was an electrician um, this is some state-of-the-art stuff that they're using so it is it's it's a value and but I was just going to say is, is we, we've designed it so as you know, if you've got a, you know, you could have a pipe 150 meters long. So what's that? I don't know, 150 meters, 100, let's say 160 yards long. Yeah. And you can run the system. We recommend using as short a distance as possible because you'll use minimum energy. So you'll be able to control the, the vacuum pump to only draw in, uh, draw enough current, pull enough air through to make sure the balls get through the system and into the final receiver. You don't have to go, you know, they don't have to go a million miles an hour. As long as they get to the final receiver and they're clean, that's all you want. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, even down to stuff, I mean, I saw when I was out, you know, you guys have some rubber padding with, with turf in there, the, mm -hmm. the, the damp and noise going into oh, the, yeah. the receiver box. I mean, th this system is very thought through, and, and it's why I'm really happy that AMS and AOS are working together on this um, to, to bring this solution you know, from England to the United States. So yeah, exciting. I'm looking forward to working with you, Joe. Yeah, no, this is very exciting. So, you know, so, okay, so we've, we've got the ball wash. We we have the, uh, the automation. So now another big thing that I learned as I was here that, you know, you guys seem 
way ahead of us when it comes to the system mowing, right? Um, I, you know, as I was here to do the install, I see pattern mowing. Everybody's kind of chomping at the bit, waiting for this in the United States. What's your opinion on the on the luck uh, you guys have had with uh, with installing those systems here with AMS? Well, uh, I don't want to I don't want to bow Bell Robotics trumpet too much, but at the end of the day, uh, Bell Robotics in Yamabe, I, I have to tell you, GPS RDK without a doubt is the way forward. But you have to appreciate that sometimes you can't get a GPS RTK signal. So if you've got a tree coverage or whatever, so you have to install to the limitations of the technology at the end of the day. But yeah. the really exciting thing is now we've, I mean, as far as installation is concerned, it's great. I mean, the, the largest mail we do is a five headed unit and, it, and it, it'll manage up to 75,000 square meters. So, sorry, you'll have to convert that, Joe. I'm, you know, let, let, let's say it's 17 acres. I, I guess that. I, I, so I, by the way, I do believe it is. It's 16 to 17 acres. As 16 well. to 17 acres. There you go. And it won't just do it a little bit like some competition, but it will do it three times a week. So it'll give you a totally professional cut in that whole area, um, which is there's nothing else on the market that will get to uh, anywhere near that. Um, but the quality of the cut. Dead straight lines. Um, you even get striping. But the beauty about the kit, the way it is now, now Yamabiko brought it through to the technology base, as you say, like as I mentioned earlier, like a Tesla. Um, all the development now, we got the hardware, all the development is software now. So what you'll see is where we have restrictions with the GPS RTK going under canopies. You mark my words, in the next couple of years, you'll find that they'll be able to go under canopies because they'll have a different kind of mapping system, which will enable them to remember where they, they are at particular times. This technology is, is, is rapidly moving, as we all know, it moves at a great pace. And so, you know, anybody buying uh, a GPS RTK unit now can expect that unit not only to be running for quite some time, but also as the software developments come in, so their machine can do more. And we're now in a position, which is, overly exciting here for me in the UK because next year we start installing on golf courses in a big way. We can manage a whole golf course with just five, five big mo robots. What this means is that whereas a, uh, obviously the sort of normal equipment a golf drive, a golf course would, would, would buy, we can cut the fairway and the first cut rough by next September fully automatically. That's going to save a golf club between 150 to 250,000 pounds a year. And when you're talking about that kind of saving, this is a no brainer for a golf course, surely. So you say next September? You, you think you've got a GPS RTK comes out in April, the software gets released in April. But even though uh, uh, auto cut height adjust is already on the robots in some circumstances, from a beta testing point of view, it will be released in September. So all the golf clubs I'm going to be installing over the course of the next uh, uh, over the next 12 months will, as that technology comes out, that software will go onto the robot, and then they'll be able to expand the capability of that robot. So that's what I mean by the development of the, of the software. It's, that's what's happening, and 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 Yamabiko are completely uh, Yamabiko, Echo, and Bell are completely committed to make these robots you know, 
unbeatable at the end of the day. Well, I guess I'm, I'm just trying to figure out when the next time I'm going to come out and see you is, you know. Anytime you like, my friend. Anytime you like, my brother. So, the, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's pretty amazing, you know, five robots uh, can do an entire golf course. And, and this is one of the things that I've been speaking to for a long time in the United States. And sometimes I think people think I'm just like wound up on robotics. But this is why I love relationships like this, because it, it actually shows that, it's not a dream. It's it's actually reality. The only thing in the United States holding some of this reality back, and I want to elaborate, you know, you said there's nothing else in the market like it. I know people listening to this podcast would instantly say, well, there's there's Greensy and there's Sith and there's there's these bigger robots that are in the United States. But here's what I would challenge them to think about. They don't dock themselves. They don't charge themselves. They don't stay on site. So Americans feel they're the people that I'm trying to talk to, you know, they're still stuck into this belief of bigger is better. Um, and they forget why everything got bigger, right? Labor rates went up. So we had to run bigger equipment to offset the, the extra time on the machines. With, with the automation that you're using out here, you don't need the size. And even when you think about it, five pieces of equipment stay in a golf course, they, it docks itself, cuts itself, it manages itself. The only person that the only thing the professional on the golf course now is doing is maintaining blades and making sure the the travel paths to get each place stay clean. I mean that's that's the way I see it, right? Am I right on that vision? Oh yeah, you're you're, you're right there. Obviously, you still you know the greens will still need to be done by um, uh, the greens team, but you know you've got to bear in mind the skill level of a, a of a, a greenkeeper in a golf club is you know these guys are studied. They know what they're talking. They know about grass. They're not mower jockeys. You know, they're not just someone whose skill set is sitting on the mower. These yeah. guys need to, you know, they're like doctors of the grass. You know, I have a huge admiration for, for greenkeepers, a huge admiration. And to keep greens looking like that, it's amazing. If you can take the low-hanging fruit out of the equation, i.e. simply cutting grass, which is a very time-consuming thing, and you end up, because it's so time-consuming, you end up putting lower-salary people on them. And so, you know... Don't get don't I, I don't really want to get into that subject, but I mean fundamentally, greenkeepers are essential in a golf course operation. And embracing the technology that we have now, which I'm seeing more and more greenkeepers do, um, I think is vital for the survival of a lot of these golf clubs. Because you know, I mean, they can't afford to buy you know all the fertilizers and all the individual things. You know, it's it's just getting so expensive. So saving money on cutting has got to be a huge benefit for them. Yeah, and, and we won't we won't go too deep in, into it, like especially because there's so much more we can talk about. But but I can I, I will totally agree with you. I mean, the, people that, the thing that people cease to think about or forget about is if there's trees or bushes on a golf course, they're constantly growing. They constantly need to be pruned back, trimmed back. People are beating the turf to death with their yeah. divots and, and all the stuff and the funguses and all the things that that are just going to naturally occur. That's what the greenkeepers are really getting paid to do, and that's what they do. So, yep. yeah, you know, that's it, it, not taking anybody's job. It's it's making there's less management going on when you have automation doing the work. So, I, I, I want, let, sorry, let me just add one thing for you there, Joe. Something that we see over here in the the football foundation over here in the UK. Um, I believe you call it soccer over in America, but the football foundation over here supports the, the grassroots clubs to help them. Uh, improve the quality of their pitches because most of the pitch uh, management of the pitch is done by volunteers. 
volunteers is like a, a rarity. You know, they, they it's, it's, a, it's a dying fraternity. If you can cut the grass automatically, that volunteer can get on with lots of other things that that grassroots club, that small end club needs. And I think it must be the same in the States with uh, American football and soccer, of course, because, you know, these guys love the game, but and they put a lot of time and energy in to try and make sure they can put a team out. Well, and with automation, with, with soccer, football, whatever, whatever sport you're looking at, in America, a lot of things are going to artificial turf because they can never keep the grass cut at the proper height to keep the ball rolling, the same consistency. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've heard horror stories of uh, sports club managers where they go to have a uh, host a game. The, the officials come out and say the grass is too long. We're going to cancel the game. Well, that's pie in their face. It doesn't look good for them. So then they start looking for prices to put in artificial turf, and that's expensive as all heck. So, so yeah, I mean, the, the, the automatic mowing is huge. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't say it when you we were talking, but, you know, you and I were both going to be in the game of automatically washing golf balls together now. And I don't know that I would want to try to automatically wash golf balls if a range was not getting cut every day, because now I've got to deal with the one day a week they're going to cut the range, having all that grass on the golf balls. And, and that's something that, you know, I don't know if you've seen that or thought about that or if it's never been a thing for you because you were in the ball right away. But No, absolutely. Absolutely. You've got to look at grass debris. When they cut the grass once a week on a golf driving range, you know, the, the leaf is maybe maybe an inch or two long and so when they put it through their washer they get so much debris and all that grass is being just blown around when you cut the grass frequently like we do with the robots the clippings are so small that it just go it remulches back into the ground again and actually self-fertilizes is the surface which probably gets very little fertilization in in a lot of facilities um uh you know especially with you know for, you know the, the sports fields that you're talking about and when you're talking about a 3G or an artificial, you're talking hundreds of thousands of pounds in a lot, a hundred thousands of dollars in a lot of cases. Whereas you could put a $30,000 robot on that piece of grass and you've got the perfect surface all the time because the grass, it keeps growing. It, yeah. <laughs> why, why spend the well, money on the well, it's, it's pulling. It's, it's pulling a little nitrogen out. You're clipping that nitrogen, it decomposes and it takes the same nitrogen again. It's not getting carried away. That way, you know, a lot of when I look at a lot of golf courses, Phil, and I talk to them about this all the time, they they have to fertilize so often because they they're constantly cutting, but they, they let the leaf get a little longer. It doesn't decompose fast enough, so they throw extra nitrogen, and then that nitrogen runs into their ponds and in that are their their water hazards on the course, and then they're fighting algae and duckweed and all the other things. If, if if it stays in the clipping and it naturally breaks down, you don't have the runoff into the water features. You know, so that that's another thing. But, you know, these are all the ancillary things that either people are going to see in the next decade or two changing yeah. the way the things look. There's so many things that are so apparent and in, the, and in the light right now. You almost don't even have to get into that that part of the conversation. So, you know, the other thing, and I've said this since I've been out here, it's amazing because it's like our companies are like running in parallel. You you yeah. think we've been in some alternate universe um, in the past. <laughs> You know, so um, you guys, what I, it, what's been really nice to see, and I think it shows why you guys are growing and, and we're growing, is you guys have a service component in in all of your systems. Essential, essential, essential. Yeah. So, so you basically, I mean, if if you've gotten to the point where people don't have a service component, 
you, you almost shy away from the sale at this point. Well, in, in all honesty, I think the most important thing here is the fact that the clients aren't going to, your clients aren't going to be robot specialists. They will learn about the robot and they'll get to grips with it and they'll understand what they need to do with it. But however, when it comes to um, handing down to other team members who take over from another team member, the most important thing you can do is a system needs to run, especially in a golf driving range. So we wouldn't, we if a client says to us, look, we want your system in, but we don't want your support contract. We would actually say we can't install the system. And the simple reason for that is that you're asking, you want a system delivered that's going to put clean balls in your uh, ball dispenser so you can sell those balls um, constantly without, without a break in that uh, process. And we give all of our clients, we have, a, we have a, um, a document that's called Managing Clients' Expectations, which is all about saying to the client, this is what you need to do to ensure that the system runs smoothly. We'll do all the rest, but as long as you comply with these, which are normal things like, for argument's sake, having enough balls in the system, really important part of it, checking the robots, cleaning the robots on a, you know, have it in the, one of your team's schedules. They need to go to the robots maybe once a day. Just make sure there's not a club head stuck in there or whatever. You get any problems, you give us a call. We offer seven day a week telephone support, 48 hour on site support. Uh, and we work on a repair or replace basis. Uh, our engineers fundamentally can basically speak and build a robot from the spares they have in their van. But the most important thing is from a client point of view, you're saving money with our system and you've got a system that's running constantly with, um, excuse me, <coughs> very little very little downtime. Uh, that's the key to the whole process. And if you can get that delivered, why wouldn't you want to have support? You know, it, so in fairness, you would only, if someone bought a robot mower and it was a private client and they insisted they didn't want support, we'd supply the robot without support. However, a driving range installation, to be honest with you, we wouldn't supply it. We'd say, no, look, you need the support. And if we couldn't persuade the client to have the support, we'd probably say no, because having a client that's got, you know, it's easy to blame the robots. It's easy. I, let me give an example, a little anecdotal thing for you. I had one client, a driving range, further up the country in the UK. And he phoned me up, he said, Phil, I really, I'm not happy with this road, this mower. I'm really not happy with it. I said, why not? Because it's not cutting the grass. I say, is it out there every day? He says, it's out there every day and it's running around, but the grass is just growing, just can't keep up. I said, have you checked the robot? Have you checked the, the blades and blah? Yeah, oh yeah, I do that every day. Yeah, my guy, well, my guy does this and my guy does it. So, oh, okay, so fine. Funny enough, I'm going past your place. I'll pop in to see you. So I popped in there and I touched base. I lifted up the robot and I said, okay, what do you see? I said, well, that looks all right to me. I said, I'll tell you what I see, shall I? I see five heads. Each head should have three blades on it. You've got one head with one blade on it. That's why your grasses are being cut. I mean, common sense is lacking in a lot of cases. So we have to cover this sort of stuff in our handover document and our guidance to the client. <coughs> However, we would have still sent a technician out to that site and told the client, if the client then called us back out again for the same situation, we'd charge the client. I mean, you've got to be fair at the end of the day. Common sense is very important, but unfortunately it's lacking a lot these days. And I don't yeah. know why it's lacking a lot, but it is. 
Well, that's a whole nother podcast segment. <laughs> but 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 I you know I, I do believe it's because uh and I, I think I said this to you, I try not to call them robots. I try to call them automatic pickers, automatic ball walkers, because yep. people have seen the the Terminator movie and when he gets <laughs> in the arm, he goes in the bathroom and fixes it, you know. So I think when people hear robot, they instantly are like, this thing should change its blades. I mean, it, it is really kind of naive. But the other thing is, I think it's human nature. You know, most people are sympathetic enough to try to put themselves in the shoes of a human being. Yeah. One wants, cares about shitting on a robot. You know, the robot sucks. This thing's terrible. Get it out of here. So, so I do think the service component is very important. And I always tell people at the end of the day, AMS is a subcontractor that's offering um, a solution to cut and pick the driving range, right? It's all about a solution. It's all yeah. about a solution. AMS is the same thing. So at the, at the end of the day, it is a better value for them to have specialized technicians dealing with that equipment. And then they can just not think about it. You know, they, they just, they, they, they go on and they're doing what they're passionate about, which is golf. And we can do what we're passionate about, which is automation, right? So, so do me a favor though, Joe. Don't, don't say to your customers, they don't have to think about it because we want them to remember they've still got robots there, even though it does a whole heap for them. Do remember they're there because they do need cleaning. They do need looking after, you know what I mean? Yeah, but in your writing, I should word that a little different, but I think you know my point. Like, you <laughs> I know, know your point. We, we don't need to send them to ITT and get them technical training. <laughs> you know? So, Absolutely. Um, okay, so, you know, you've been doing it a while now. Do you, can you start to feel, I mean, I can tell you, I can tell the listeners as I've been here, uh, this is, this is the ninth day tomorrow I leave actually. Yeah. So yeah, ninth day. Um, I've been really inspired hearing how much the phones are ringing in this office. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's a busy office. I'll put it that way. There's, there's multiple yep. people in this office and everybody is busy and that's inspiring to someone like myself in the United States because some days it gets a little tiring. You, you know, I feel like I'm calling people more than they're calling me sometimes, right? Um, yeah. So, you know, are you feeling what I'm seeing? You know, I mean, is it, I mean, I can tell just you're smiling and, and I'm asking the question. I mean, the future is bright for AMS. You guys seem to oh, be yeah. growing rapidly. Oh, we're expecting to be fair with you. I mean, this has been 13 years and the, and the, and the growth, to start with, when I set this off 13 years ago, people were saying, forget it. Can't collect golf balls on the driving range. Don't be ridiculous. Cut grass three times a week. <laughs> what with that little machine? You're having a laugh. However, the, the, the belief has slowly come and the sales curve has gone like this, slowly but surely. And the belief, you've got to believe in your systems. And of course, technology is moving on at rapid pace. And in recent years, especially with COVID, you know, there's something about the robots. They don't take sick days. They don't take holidays. And during COVID, all of our customers who had robot mowers, their grass was cut and their grass was managed. You know, because it was done automatically. And yeah. now you're seeing not only is the sales curve going up here, the uptake by all customers, but I do believe 2023 is going to be the start of, in all honesty, I know it sounds a bit crazy, the revolution in large format robotic mowing. Absolutely. And the driving range is from an adoption point of view, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, it's just a no brainer. Any new driving range that's opening today. If they don't put the system in, they've got to be off their tree. They've absolutely got to be off their tree. Why would you bother buying all this heavy equipment to run over grass when you can have, you know, small little robots, 
a fully automated system. It's going to cost you less than having a member of staff out there doing it. It's going to be kinder to the ground. It's going to be carbon neutral, save you money. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't understand. Changing over, you know, there's a decision to be made, but you know, you know, it's a way forward. And I would say to you, any, you know, within a very short period of time, uh, you know, I would see the uptake for golf driving ranges to be um well, well, just I I you know, who can speculate, but you know. Yeah. It's, it's it's the only way to do it. So then, I, would it be fair to say at this point now, as, as the leader of AMS, you're you're probably more concerned with building a team than you are looking for different innovation because the innovation and the technology is come is here. It's, it's, oh no, no, it's it's this is team building. We need to get the message out there. I mean, we you, you you know you've got a whole heap more driving ranges over in the US than we have here, but we've got about fourteen hundred standalone driving ranges. Um, some are too small, some are, but there's probably about five or 600 over here of which we've already got a pretty, you know, we've probably got a decent percentage right now. So with our wash and return system, having uh, AOS uh, become our US distributor for our uh, autonomous wash and uh, ball management system is really exciting for me. Um, and I'm looking to come and visit Joe. Uh, I'm looking to come and visit you, Joe, with your first installations um and uh yeah i see a bright future for us all you know and the golf driving range business in its entirety because it's going to save a lot of time and money and energy well there's a lot of cool stuff coming to, to the to that business i mean our technology you've got top tracer you know driving ranges themselves used to kind of just be the place where people went to warm up and now it's the place where people are going to eat and drink oh. socialize and hang they're out they're entertainment centers now yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. So, and to be fair with you, the robots give a bit of theatre. You, you can't believe it. You know, people stand there and watch the robots. And there's something I really want to develop, and that is some uh, branding. If you, you know, you work with a, let's say a golf driving range has um, sponsorship from an auto, uh, a car company, let's say. Well, wrap the robot as a Chevrolet or a, a Pontiac or whatever. You wrap it. Okay, it doesn't particularly look like one, but once you get the decals on there, the radiator stickers on there, they look great. Posters up, that can bring a, that can probably bring 10, 20 grand a year income for the driving range as well. Yeah, well, I actually have said that uh, Top Tracer should actually make the robots part of the games. Why not? Absolutely, and I think that would be a jolly good idea. I mean, especially when the kids <clears throat> go fish, I mean, make the thing the, the whale, you know, it's something, I don't know, but I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with it. and. And in the, the reality, I always say when I go to shows, sometimes adults look at our equipment and they're like, oh, what's that? And every every kid that can talk until they're about, you know, let's say freshmen, you know, well, let's just say high schoolers, they look and they're like, it's a robot mower, it's a robot picker. They instantly know because technology has been in their hands for so long now. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing I tell people, you said, you know, it might be harder for people to convert or decision makers to change, but they, they have to think of the evolution of the game and the evolution of their customer and their customer wants to see the technology at the end of the day, the people that don't care about the tech they're 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 gonna they're gonna cease to be customers one day the younger people will be the customer and that's who they should cater to absolutely so, so absolutely i always like to uh take some time to not only talk about what people do um but their family so before i get to that part um Talk, talk to me a little bit about the mats, Phil, because that's another thing I've seen. I thought it was an, an amazing thing. And, you know, for myself, my story, I got into automation because of 
the landscaping and the snow removal and being sympathetic to landscaping professionals. But you similarly had something else going on that got you into automation. So talk a little bit more about the True Strike mats for people. Well, might- I, well True Strike, I designed True Strike over 20 years ago now, and I launched it in 2004 at the PGA show in Florida. Um, and I designed it because I, you know, a while ago I used to have a digital print business and I, I had some big clients and I wasn't a particularly good golfer, but I was invited to a golf day. And so I spent a whole evening trying to drop the ball. My, my, my approach shot was always my Achilles heel. I was, I was dropping the ball on the pin, every shot hitting off the standard range mat. Went the next day to this game, first approach shot, duffed it. And I thought, oh my God, all that practice was for nothing. So I just put my mind to it and, and worked hard and came up and designed a, a, a product that gives you a, a sub-base uh, um, of around about two inches of uh, gel, a special kind of gel. So when you hit into it, not only is it soft feel, but you get no shock of vibration, but you can actually compress the ball into the surface to get an accurate shot and the feel of hitting off a natural turf. And all the launch monitor companies, FlightScope, Top Trade, uh, FlightScope, and um, well, all, all, all the all the, uh, the guys out there who use this technology, find that the results of hitting off True Striker within within five percent of a top quality natural turf. That being the case, um, it's called True Strike, by the way. And that being the case, um, professionals, golf enthusiasts. I don't say it goes in every golf range bay because there's a lot of non-golfers out there who hit off a true strike and they'll duff the shot and it would, the heel would bury, the face would close and they'll get an affected shot. But if they want to develop their game, it's the perfect surface to do so. So we, we sell it around the world via distribution. We've got a great distributor in uh, America called ProPut Systems. Um, uh, and they sell it across, they, they hold stock uh, in North Carolina. Uh, yeah, I, I love it, and it, it's it, it works itself now. It just you know people just order containers off me, and they sell them. They can buy it anywhere. So yeah, it's all good. It's a great surface. I like, I've got one in my golf simulator room, as you'd expect. <laughs> well, and so podcasts are about storytelling, so I got a little story I got to tell. So last night, Phil invited me to to play golf on his on a simulator. Simulator, and <laughs> he, it was the first time I've ever hit off a true strike, and. I was uh, talking to Gretchen when I got back to the, the hotel last night, and I couldn't stop talking about that experience. Now, first of all, I was embarrassed. I somehow broke one of Phil's drivers on my back swing. <laughs> it, you, it was an old one. Don't worry about it. You know, and, and, and Phil, you know, people that have golfed with me would understand. People that haven't wouldn't. But I, I do have a I, I have a very violent swing, right? But anyhow, um, but what I found out was I hit the ball really well with the four and five iron and Phil and I realized I should just be using five irons all day, but I don't think I would have had that success if I wasn't hitting off that true strike mat because I could actually hit the ball the way that I would have hit it. If I was hitting grass, I could aim just, I didn't have to think about it bouncing off the mat. I could actually swing through it and the mat absorbed it. So I thought it was actually fantastic. It was a superb uh, feel in Matt. So, you know, it was a great time. I, I learned that I could, uh, you know, what was I hitting? 215 yards with a with a four or five iron off, off his true strike mat. So it was, yeah, it was awesome. It was, it was just like, you know, 
So, Phil, so tell us about your family a little bit, you know, in, in your background. I mean, we all we all started, especially entrepreneurs, right? It's we're very driven people. I believe we, you know, we're one percent of the population, and there's got to be something that makes us tick, you know. So, yeah. You know, tell me about your parents. How many how many kids were in your family? Kind of just. Oh God, I I'm really old now, needless to say, Joe. So it's a long time ago. So I don't know. I don't remember that far back. But there you go. You know, I got a couple of sisters. Tell me what you can remember. Tell me what you want to remember. You know. Well, sadly, sadly, lost my father when I was just. I was five years old, but uh, my mother did a good job with me and my sister and brought us to, we got it, you know, we, we, we were fortunate to go to a good school, et cetera, um, which, you know, brings a bit more of an entrepreneurial spirit out um, with, with, you know, sometimes, and that happened with me at the end of the day. And now I've just, I've just worked for myself since I was 24 years old. I, uh, uh, I worked for a company and uh, the guy had promised me, you know, work hard, Phil, let's get this thing going and I'll give you part of the business and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it came to it. We did got this, we got this business going really well. And he turned around to me and he said, Phil, we sold the business. And I said, great, great, great. What's my share of that? He said, what do you mean your share of that? I said, well, I've got shares in a business, right? No, no. And I said, well, what do I get out of it? He gives nothing. I said, why would I give you, why would I give you part of what I've got? You know, it's like, hold on a minute, you couldn't have got there without me. So anyway, long and short of it, I said, well, screw you, buddy. I'm out of here. Uh, you know, I'm only going to be bitten once. And then that's how I got on my own. And I've been on my own ever since. And I, I truly think I'm unemployable now. So I better make, uh, I better make my current businesses work. <laughs> so I actually tell people all the time I'm unemployable. I don't think I could ever work for someone. Um, I think I make a horrible employee, but I'm a great leader, you know, so... It, it, but but I don't know that I could lead something if it wasn't my vision. You know? Horses for courses, my friend. Horses for courses. Yeah. So so how about so you know I I've got family in the business uh, in my businesses. You have family in your yeah. business. Yeah, absolutely. My uh, uh, my nephew is my technical director. You know, and I I brought him on board because he was a young enthusiastic guy. He's uh, he's mid thirties now. He's been with me ten years and. Uh, uh, you know, he just got his uh, his 10-year reward, which was uh, a nice Breitling watch that I've treated him to and said thanks for being part of this team. Um, and he loves he loves what he's doing. They, he's got shares in the business too. He's got share options in the business. Um, <clears throat> my daughter too, she runs our marketing team. And as you know, Joe, you've been chatting to her quite a bit in regards to how we can do some of this uh, social media stuff and podcasting and things, which... For an old man like me is, you know, a bit beyond my remit, to be fair with you, but I'll let you guys get on with it because you're better at it than me. Um, and yeah, and I've got a great team around me. I've got a team of about 15 staff members. It's not a massive company. We're, a, we're an SME, but, uh, you know, I do envisage it in the next, in the next five years, we're going to grow pretty rapidly and uh, hopefully enable me to retire at some stage in the next 10 years with a bit of luck and have yeah. a bit more of a, a slower life. <laughs> Come visit Joe in America. Hey, that'd be great. You know, talk about all the systems we're selling. You know, you that, yeah. that, that'd be a good time. You know, I'll take you to Florida, then I'll take you up to my place up in uh, up in Wisconsin. So, so, so Phil, that kind of gets to the point. Uh, you know, when you're talking about retirement, I'll just get right into it. Then, so you know, 
what what do you you know when you're retired you know what what would be a fun day for phil if you're not working you know what do you like to do for fun well to be fair you know in, in all honesty you know I, I don't think i'm ever going to stop working I, i'd love to uh i'd love to mentor small businesses i love i'd love younger guys and girls you know 25 26 who want to set their own businesses up you know come and talk to me and we can give them some advice and may even be able to support them invest in their businesses maybe I don't know yet, but I, it, 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 I'd want to do it for them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do it for financial reward for me. I just want to share, share some of my experiences if that was possible. Um, I'm no megalomaniac. And, uh, you know, if I was able to be involved in a small business and that business was super successful because I put the help in, I put trust and faith in them, that would, that, that would be reward enough for me to be fair with you. Yeah. Well, that sounds, I mean, that's awesome. And, and, you know, you and I, I've said before, we're very similar people and, and mm. I, I'm inspired that, that you want to do that because you and I were the same with that. It's one of the reasons I have this podcast. And quite frankly, Phil, you're doing what you want to do retired anyways, because there's going to be a lot of people that listen to this and you're going to inspire them. To good. I'm so, so, so it, and you, you said you said you're older and you're not good at this podcast stuff, but you're doing great. I mean, you're <laughs> like, I'm just talking, Joe. My whole life has been talking, so that's all I'm doing. I'm just talking. That's how a podcast is. It's it's two people talking, you know. So, <laughs> so so then, you know, at the end of the day, when when all the dust settles, if 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 you sell the company and and uh, you get your way and you retire, do what you want. You know, what do you want to be most remembered for then then in the industry? And then, you know, at the end of the day, your legacy, you know? Uh, being a kind and decent person, mate. That's all I'd like to do. Kind and decent person. If, if that's what people, how people remember me, then, um, yeah. I mean, I very, just to, just, just, just say to you, I, I very sadly lost my wife in 2019. Uh you know, very sadly lost my uh, dear, dear wife uh, to breast cancer. And she was the kindest soul in the world. She changed my life when uh, I lost her on the basis that, you know, I realized she was always kind, but kindness is the way forward. Um, you know, I've got enough money. I've got food on the table. I feed, you know, anybody around me, my children, and I have friends come around. Kindness, that's it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hate to see... I hate to see greed. I hate to see anger, you know. So, yeah, there you go, Joe. That's that's my legacy. That's what I'd like to leave behind. People thinking that he was a decent bloke. That's all. Well, I'm going to tell people. <laughs> I've, I've had the chance to meet you. I've had the chance to hang out with you. I kind of uh, skimmed past the, uh, the part of the family because I didn't know if you were going to want to talk about what happened with your wife because Phil is a very yeah. passionate person like myself. And uh, he's he's a pretty tender guy, we, you know. <laughs> I saw him. I saw him shed a little bit of a tear when we were at the cathedral, looking at the fallen soldiers thing. So I, I I'm glad you chose to share uh, what happened to your to your wife because I know she was a huge part of your life, and I know I could tell just by being here you miss her. But you are a very kind person. You've made for an, a fantastic trip for me out here. Well, you're I, welcome, Joe. I don't know that I would have liked my trip to England if I spent it with anyone else other than you. So, well, it's very kind of you to say so, Joe. Very kind of you to say. So, I'm, I'm humbled, my friend. I'm humbled. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, Phil and I are going to be doing a lot together, and uh, you know, you'll be seeing us around and seeing our systems go in, and maybe we'll make this a yearly update. Phil, we'll check in on each other and see what we're doing. But 
I have no doubt we'll um, have no doubt we'll see each other at least once a year. I've got no doubt about that. Yeah. So with that, I think this is going to make for a fantastic podcast. There's a lot of people that are going to love the content uh, that you shared with us today. And I thank you. Okay. Thank you very much, Joe. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the ideas shared here, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review on iTunes and Spotify. Please share this episode with anyone you think will also find value here. You can find short video clips of the best moments from the episode at automatingsuccess.net and on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at automatingsuccess.net.